0: Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here and we hope you enjoy today's message. When Morgan said that uh, he can't make the wind blow, but when the wind blows, he knows how to set his sails. And uh, we can't make the wind blow. We can't twist God's arm to do what we want him to do. But whenever we sense him in the room, we can position ourselves to catch some of what he's doing. So Why don't we just lift our hands right now and let's just catch what god's doing in the room his presence is in here he's there's no telling what he wants to do in this place and the miracles he could work if we'll just position ourselves. and so let's just set ourselves god we set ourselves to catch what you're doing lord god we're tired of pedaling the paddle boat and going in circles so we just stop peddling and we just set ourselves and say, Holy Spirit, wind, blow in this place and get us to where we need to be, God. Not in our time, but in your timing. God, mold us and shape us, God. We're on, the, we're on your wheel. And we're not looking back at the potter saying, what are you doing? We're saying more. <laughs> more shaping, more chiseling. God, even if it means loss, if it makes us look more like you, do it in Jesus name amen amen you can be seated give somebody a handshake a high five something next to you tell them you love them yes thank you Lord you guys are getting a treat here this is my brand new Bible I am y'all are going to get to see an unveiling here You ready? Oh! 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 (laughs) No, hey, I love this. This is a, this is a, they call it cloth board. Looks like an old book, but it's got this feature where it lays flat the first day, no matter where you're at, even if you're in the front or in the middle or wherever. And it just lays so perfectly. And, uh... I'm a Bible nerd. I get excited about little things like that. And uh, do y'all just get excited about the Bible? I get excited about the Bible. So I'm going to, we're going to be doing some reading here. So you guys get in the book of Acts, uh, probably starting at about chapter 11, and then put one thumb there, and then put another thumb in Galatians chapter 1. There's something unique about this book is Paul spends nearly the first two chapters of Galatians stating the case of why he's qualified to be the one to tell them how to lead this church. He's really going over his qualifications of what they went through. He's getting them to look back and to remember what they experienced when the church was planted and remember the joy and the freedom that was found in that moment because some other people have creeped in. How many of you know people can creep in? Yeah, people can creep in. And so this faction had crept into this beautiful work that Paul had planted and begin to try to add something to Jesus. Here's when you know you're walking in error. When somebody tells you you need Jesus plus something else. It's an easy way to know if it's heresy or not. If somebody tries to tell you that you've got to add something to Jesus to be saved, you need to stick your fingers in your ears and just go, ah, and don't listen to another word that they say because Jesus is enough to get the job done in your life. It's all about him. He's the sinner. He's what the Bible's all about. If you're reading the Bible to get facts, you're reading the Bible for the wrong reason. You need to be reading that Bible to be having encounters with the person, the man, Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you'll get into religious exercises and be thinking that you're adding something to your salvation by reading that book. You're not adding one thing by reading this book. You get to read this book to find more about him because he's that lovely and that beautiful. And you need to know who you're going to spend eternity with. Eternity starts right now. So you're practicing for heaven right now. John 17, and this is eternal life that we may know him and the one in whom he is sent. So Paul is, uh, he gets angry. This is one of Paul's first letters. So Paul's uh, passionate about this church. It's one of the first churches he planted in this region of Galatia and Asia Minor. And so you see some passion spill out. You see, uh, Paul just gets gets real with us, okay? So he recounts his history with them uh, in Galatians, and uh, there's just so much here. You ever felt like you've got? You ever pull on a strand of something, and it keeps coming? (coughs) And then when you think that's going to finish out, actually you find another strand and then you start pulling. I got all these strands in my hand here. And I've got to figure out how to braid this cord together to make all this make sense, okay? So let's just start like this. Let's start with Paul's journey toward having an encounter with Jesus Christ. Oh, and by the way, we're going to call this series Bewitched because Paul says in chapter 3... Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? The NET says it this way. Who has put you under a spell? And so we're going um, to dive in to some of that. So we're going to cover the first two chapters, chapter and a half, probably today. But it's going to be more in a story form just to kind of lay, lay the foundation. So we're going to be bouncing an axe and be bouncing back and forth in Galatians. Uh, now, Saul didn't start out as a Christian. And how many of y'all started out as a Christian? Yeah, no, not many people have that story. I think my wife was actually a Christian from the womb. She was like John the Baptist. She leapt in the womb after Jesus and just came out full of the Spirit of God. No, she did. I think she really, God does that sometimes where People get saved at a young age and just serve God and run hard after him their whole life. And that's been my wife's story. I, on the other hand, turned and ran as hard as I could that way. Uh, but how many of you know, whether you come to him here or you come to him there, uh, you just need to come to him. <laughs> you need to come to him. So this is where the, the Apostle Paul is at. So he'd be known as Saul before this. So we're going to be going back probably 34 A.D., so, be around a year after Jesus had been crucified, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, gave his uh, disciples charge of to preach and teach the kingdom of God that was coming to the earth, and uh, so it was kind of localized right at first, right? Because you had everything happening there in Jerusalem. But something unique happened within Jerusalem: is there started to be persecution, and Paul was part of this persecution. He started to persecute the people of God. And there's, here's the deal. When Paul persecuted the church and when persecuted, she, persecution came, here's what it ended up doing. It ended up planting other churches because as they pushed the church out, the church was just the church in other places at that point. So there's two ways to plant churches, persecution or planting. And so Paul was planting churches before he was a Christian. And that's what you'll find is anytime the church of Christ gets persecuted, there's no need to bristle up and be afraid and think you're going to lose. Because all the devil's plans only serve to further the kingdom of God. That's why he's so dumb because he hasn't figured out he needs to just give up. So Paul or Saul at this time is persecuting the church's And he gets this, uh, he gets legal authority to go and to just remove the churches everywhere he goes and throw the Christians into jail. So Paul is on this mission, or Saul rather at this point, is on this mission to persecute the church of Christ and on his way to Damascus. He has an encounter with Jesus. (laughs) How many of you thought you were going one way, and then you encounter the Lord, and you find out you was going somewhere completely different? Saul encounters Jesus, and he sees Jesus in the glory of his second coming. The Greek word is the parousia. And he sees Jesus in all of his glory. And Jesus knocks him off his horse. Come on. Some of us got to get knocked off our horse. Come on. Yeah, yeah. He knocks him off his horse. And he speaks to him. And he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so this brings us to a couple of different realities. One, when you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting Jesus himself. Because he didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me in the earth? So just know that if you're a Christian, you are part of his body. And if somebody's messing with you, they're not just messing with you. They're messing with him. Yeah. He doesn't compartmentalize himself from a suffering church. He identifies with them and says, that's me. Okay. Okay. So he says, Why are you curse, persecuting me? And he says, Lord, Lord, who are you? And he reveals himself to him as the Christ, the Messiah, the one that is to come, the righteous one that's come into the world to take away the sins of the world. He reveals that to Paul. And Paul, through this encounter, becomes blind. And there's something to be said here. Saul thought he was doing the right thing. But God met him at this place of his known truth to reveal to him a new truth, a deeper truth than what he knew. So someone on a journey for truth that is vehemently against God has more of a chance of encounter than somebody that's just. That somebody with their eyes set on God and the truth, even though they're deceived, has more of a chance of encounter than those who would passively just sit around and watch. So here's Saul, he has an encounter. This would be the equivalent of an Osama bin Laden. Having an encounter with God and saying, oh, I'm a Christian now and I'm going to go around preaching the gospel everywhere. (laughs) Give you some idea of how radical this was. So he takes uh, three days after this encounter. The Bible says he's led by the hand into Damascus. Whoa, buddy. (laughs) He's led by the hand into Damascus. Now, here's a man who bragged about how Jewish he was and how religious he was. He said in one place in Scripture that he was a Benjamite circumcised on the eighth day under the tutelage of Gamaliel. In other words, nobody's more Jewish than me. So he was under the reputation or under the um, idea that because of his nationality, because of his schooling, because of his tenure, because of his tradition, and because of his lineage, he was closer to God than other people. And now that same man who was ready to arrest everybody has got to be led by the hand. <laughs> Into a place he's not familiar with, and come to the fact that he's actually blind and he knows nothing. God knows how to humble. You can sit down. I know you like holding my hand, though. Come on now. You got too comfortable there. And he, uh, so for three days, he sits in blindness. And how many of you know sometimes God will send somebody else into the picture to meet the need while you're praying for God to do it himself in you? So, there's a man by the name of Ananias. And God speaks to him and says, yeah, you remember that Saul guy? Oh, yeah, that guy trying to kill all the Christians. Yeah, I need you to go pray for him. Zo. <laughs> Uh, no, <laughs> we're not doing that. I says, no, I need you to do this. Trust me. So Ananias finds where Saul is, lays hands on him, and he receives his sight. And now Saul's ruined for life. <laughs> now with the same aggression... That he persecuted Christians. He turns that energy and aggression into preaching the gospel to anybody that will sit around and listen. I wish I had some people that sought Jesus as hard as they sought drugs. I wish I had some people that sought Jesus as hard as they sought a bar stool. I wish I had some people that sought Jesus as hard as they sought a dadgum hobby. I wish I had a people that sought Jesus as hard as they sought politics. Jesus is the issue. He's the grand issue. He's the centerpiece of history, and anything that's not focused on him is peripheral. And so after this encounter, now Saul is ruined for life. No going back. His concrete is set. Nobody else going to write their name in it. Jesus wrote his name, and it's set. And some of you need to figure out how to set your concrete And let Jesus put his name in it and be done with anything else. And now, instead of persecuting the church, he's preaching the gospel. And as he's preaching the gospel in Damascus, the Jews can't refute him. Why? Well, because... He was as Jewish as you could get. And now that he's got Jesus, (laughs) he knows every argument and now has encounter and knowledge about Jesus. See, Jesus is the key to opening up scripture. Because Jesus is the word, by the way, just to let you know. So without a relationship with Jesus, you can't even open up the word. You're stuck in some kind of something else. So now that he's got the word and he knows the word, now suddenly everything's starting to click for him. Because once you have an encounter and you see Jesus in his glory, every time you pick up that book, you end up finding Jesus somehow in there. You can't get around it. And so now he's refuting the Jews and the Jews are angry. They're angry that they can't one-up him. They can't refute his wisdom. And so they try to kill him. So he learns about the plan of his death. or They're planning his death. And so they get a basket. And they lower him in a basket down the city wall. Now, something unique about this basket. This basket is a different word than sometimes the other words that are used for basket. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? And it says that they took up five baskets or up 12 baskets full and then took that with them. Started with the lad's lunch, right? So the baskets in that, plate, in that, in that point in the scriptures would be more of a like a lunchbox something smaller you would carry so the idea there is with the 12 is that they're they're really feeding the people of Israel in that in that moment and they're breaking the bread the loaves and the fishes and it's spreading out and there's 15 or there's 12 baskets left and they're taking these baskets with them this is a picture everything in the bible that is a miracle is a picture of a spiritual reality of what God's doing on a greater level. In other words, when Jesus opens up the eyes of the blind, you know what that's saying to us? We're blind to the things of God, and we need our eyes opened up, right? When Jesus heals somebody lame, you know what it says? That we're all kind of in a position where we're not going to get there unless God does something in our life. And gets us there. See, these are greater spiritualities. So when they come with these baskets of food, it's not necessarily a mission to just go feed more people. It's saying that these 12 baskets of food in this miracle, that 12 is the number of Israel, and that Israel's king has come, and there's extra for the people of Israel to be completed in Jesus, because Jesus is the new Israel. Israel failed in the wilderness. What does Jesus do in the wilderness? He passes. He passes. Forty years going around and around, Jesus said, no, nah, I'll do it in 40 days. No sweat. Jesus saying, I am the new Israel. And this is what Paul is coming to understand. Said that if I'm not a part of it, Jesus, I'm no longer a part of Israel. That he is God's plan. A Jewish friend of mine that uh, came to faith in Jesus. And he would say this. He would say, um, you get converted because you're a pagan Gentile we get completed because Jesus is our Messiah. And I say, well, however you want to put it, I'm all in with Jesus. So, completed, converted, I'm in with with the King, Jesus. Okay? But aren't we always trying to latch on to some kind of pride of something when we have the reality of it right here and in our hearts and in our midst? We're trying to Grab onto something. So there's a small basket. But in Mark chapter 8, Jesus feeds 4,000. Different encounter. And this group is Gentiles. And how did he get a crowd of 4,000 Gentiles? I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. You remember when he pops up on the shore and there's a demoniac, crazy demonized, full of so many demons, they call them Legion. And Jesus frees this man who they tried to chain him to rocks, but this supernatural demonic strength, he was breaking the chains and he was cutting himself at night and just crying out. And Jesus shows up on the shore, sets this man free. Remember the demons running to the pigs? That's our clue. These are Gentile people. These aren't Jewish people raising pigs, okay, guys? And then the pigs run off, and they say, get this Jesus guy out of here. He's kind of upsetting everything going on here. And this guy, this demoniac, asks if he can go with Jesus, and Jesus says, no. Now, come on, Jesus, <laughs> you know. Let Mr. Demon Man come with you. Jesus is like, no. I need your testimony here. Because I'm coming back. I'm coming back to this Decapolis, this town of ten cities, and I'm going to need you to help me get a crowd together. So when he comes back, there's 4,000. I wonder why. Because Demon Man was preaching, there's a guy coming back that's coming to set us free too. So in this encounter, there's seven baskets left over. Hmm, I wonder why seven. Number of completion. God's plan to save the world. Because he's not just the king of the Jews, he's a light to the Gentiles. Amen. And this was the issue of why Jesus had to come. Was that the Jewish people got so prideful in being Jewish, they forgot their role that they were to be a light to lead the Gentile people unto Yahweh. It's like if you had a basketball team and on the back of their jerseys had Yahweh. But then they come onto the field and they started cussing the ref. Huh? Sound like some of y'all watching March Madness, I know. (laughs) Tripping the other team when they run by. Playing dirty. Paying the refs. Yahweh says, you can't wear my name and act like that. (laughs) The reason why I'm showing you favor is not because you're chosen. It's so that the other nations would look and say, I want to serve a God that's that good and loves his people that much that's that fair and that just and that equitable and goes through that kind of process to in order to make a court case and, 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 that, and that comes near to them and that feeds them and sends them rain and sends them food. And that's why I want to come. And they took the blessing as if it was because of who they were and not because of who he is that he's the best, that he's the greatest. So they became prideful in who they were not in who he was. So Jesus has to come to humble his people and be a light unto the Gentiles. So what is all that about, Matt? The seven baskets there, different Greek word. The basket there in the Greek language is Cyrus which is a large, big basket. So after they left the feeding of the 4,000, seven giant baskets. And what kind of basket was Paul lowered through the window? The spirus, the large basket. So in other words, here's the bread going out to the Gentiles. Here's my light unto the Gentiles. Why are you saying this? Because I want you to know how you got here. Because a man answered the call. He was willing to get his head lopped off. That's why you're here in Hot Springs, Arkansas, some thousand miles away, 2,000 years removed from what we're talking about. And that's the kind of people God wants to raise up to finish the mission. Somebody that will get in a basket and say, I don't care. Make me the bread, God. Make me what gets broken and passed out in the earth. If that's how the nations will be fed, put me in the basket. And that's the heart of an apostle. And that's the heart of a missionary. And that ought to be our heart. God, what basket do you need to put me in to get me where I need to go to get the people fed? (sighs) So Paul's lowered down and for three years he preaches in Arabia and Damascus. And uh, let's look at Galatians chapter 1. and it's all good I don't even know where to go verse 17 nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me but right away I departed to Arabia and then returned to Damascus so here he's talking about this timeline and what I'm telling you is what he's telling them He wants them to know. He talks about how he persecuted them. He talks about how, where he went, what he did. And so this is him telling the story and bringing them up to speed of what his uh, credentials are as being an, an apostle. So, after he preached in Damascus, in Arabia for three years... He's had no contact for those three years with anybody in Jerusalem. So, isn't this kind of crazy? Jesus, remember, picks his 12, pours into them Peter's, the rock, the church in Jerusalem. And then God does this thing way over here, separate from what he did with his boys that he actually hung out with. So, here's a guy planting churches and preaching that has no connection with those guys in Jerusalem. So now they're hearing about this Saul guy who persecuted, now is planting, and they're wanting to know what's going on here. What's going on with this guy out here? And so Paul goes to meet with those who laid eyes on Jesus and walked with Jesus to make sure he got the message right. To make sure that his gospel was their gospel. This is what it says in verse 18, Galatians chapter 1, verse 18. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. Who's Cephas? I thought somebody'd say Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> to visit Cephas or Peter, means rock, it's the Aramaic for rock there. And get information from him. Information there is a more formal word than what we would say information. So this means he was getting the history, the complete history of what they had experienced with Jesus. To marry with his knowledge and his encounter in order that he could be better equipped to continue the mission that God had for him. And I stayed with him 15 days. Verse 19. But I saw none of the other apostles except for James. The Lord's brother. Verse 20. I assure you that before God. I'm not lying about what I'm writing to you. Afterward I went into the regions. Of Syria. And Cilicia. So now he's here. Planning churches. He's doing his mission. He's gotten with Peter. And he's gotten with the Lord's brother James. Who's kind of like the powerhouse. There in Jerusalem. And he's. Now back in his territories, planting churches, preaching Jesus. And he doesn't visit Jerusalem for 14 years. He stays on mission, uh, preaching and doing his thing. And so let's read about this. Uh, Zach, you got Acts 11? Read Acts 11. Get that mic on if you don't mind. Acts 11, okay, and here's why he goes. Acts 11, verse 27 through 30. And in these days the prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Where Paul was. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So this is how he gets back to Jerusalem. And he visits Jerusalem and brings an offering, because they're going through extreme famine at this time. So they're seeing the body of Christ in such a way. Do you notice that the Bible, when Paul's letters and and different things, it's never divided up into, I don't know, first church of this or second Baptist this or Lakeview Assembly over here or the smallest segment that the church has ever broken down to for Paul is a city. that the idea is, is, that when people are hurting here, when Jesus said, I'm hurting, when they're being persecuted, you're persecuting me, there's also an implication for us, is that when we're hurting here, we should be hurting here for them and directing resources and prayers to, it's this inclusivity of that, we are the body in Christ on the earth no matter what our background, nationality, or or any of these things. And so Paul comes with this offering, and he visits and has uh, more conversation uh, with Peter and the leaders there, and they present their offering uh, from the church in Antioch. And so one day in the church in Antioch, they're praying about, uh, they're just in service seeking the Lord, and... The Holy Ghost speaks through his people and says, set apart for us, Paul and Barnabas, because we're going to send them out and they're going to be apostles and they're going to start planting churches. So Paul, get this, this is like 14 years after his conversion, before his first missionary journey. We read the Bible like he got saved and then, phew, shot out. Let me tell you something. There might be a 14-year preparation for you before you step out into the thing God would have you step into. And so this was Paul's thing. But you know what's so cool about Paul? He was content to stay in Antioch or he was content to go where Jesus told him to go. He was content to go or he was content to stay. Why? Because nothing was driving him other than the Spirit of God and the good pleasure of Jesus in his life. And here's the deal. You can spend a lot of time being driven and covering it up with Christiany things, but you need to ask yourself, what's driving you? Because you're either going to be driven or you're going to be led. And God's people who do a lasting work are led. King Saul was driven. David was led. King Saul gets anointed and steps right into the king house. David gets anointed and it's 12 to 18 years of being chased and being persecuted before he steps into his role as king. So Paul, even though he did these great exploits, is not driven. He's led. He's led. Yeah. Is this helping anybody? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to lay this thing down. I've got a lot here I'm tugging on. Uh, so Saul and became Paul at this point. His name even got changed right here when he got sent out. I don't know why. Maybe this was the Simon Peter scenario or, or whatever. Maybe they wanted him to just lose that whole Saul thing altogether. I don't know. But Saul became Paul. Paul. And with Barnabas, they planted churches all in Galatia. So let's read what that looked like in some of that stuff. So that's in Acts 13. So this would be Paul first setting foot with the church uh, in Galatia. So we'll look at, I don't know, chapter 13 starting in verse 16. Now this is Paul preaching the gospel, okay? Okay. This is what he would preach when he would show up into a synagogue. Paul never showed up, and uh, he generally started in the synagogues because the the Gospels go to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. So the idea is I'm going to go with those who have a working knowledge of God, and from there I'll proclaim the Gospel and see what shakes out. And however that shakes out, I'll go somewhere else if they want to hear more, if they don't. I'm wiping the dust off my feet, kind of of a deal. But look at Paul's gospel here. Have you ever wondered what the gospel is? This is what Paul would say when he would come to, to towns that knew nothing about God. Okay? He would go to the synagogues first. So Paul stood up and gestured with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who fear God. So he's got a listening audience here of Jew and Gentile. The God of, the pe- of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors and made the people great during their stay as foreigners in the country of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out of it for a period of about 40 years. He put up with them in the wilderness. <laughs> yeah. Verse 19 After he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave his people their land. As an inheritance. So you see, Paul's gospel starts with a history of Israel. Isn't that unique? Verse 20. All this took about four hundred and fifty years. After this he gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin who ruled forty years. Verse 22, and after removing him, God raised up David, their king. So David becomes the hinge point to where he builds his case about Jesus. He testified about him, I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my heart. Who will accomplish everything I want him to do. Woo, come on. Verse 23, from the descendants of this man, God brought Israel, a savior, Jesus, just as he promised. Before Jesus arrived, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. But while John was completing his mission, he said repeatedly, What do you think I am? I am not he. But look, one is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers, descendants of Abraham's family and those Gentiles among you who fear God, the message of this salvation has been sent to us. For the people who live in Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him. And they fulfilled the sayings of the prophets that they read every Sabbath by condemning him. Though they found no basis for his death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed when they had accomplished everything that was written about him. They took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. <laughs> and for many days he appeared to those who he had accompanied him from Galilee to Jerusalem. These are now his witnesses to the people, and we proclaim to you the good news about the promise to our ancestors, that this promise has fulfilled up to us their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have fathered you. But regarding the fact that he has raised Jesus from the dead, never again to be in a state of decay. I love that. God has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and trustworthy promises made to David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not permit your holy one to experience decay. For David, after he had served God's purpose in his own generation, died, was buried with his ancestors, and experienced decay. But the one whom God raised up did not experience decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this one forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by this one, everyone who believes is justified from everything from which the law of Moses could not justify you. Watch out then that what is spoken about the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, be amazed and perish, for I'm doing a work in your your days, a work you would never believe even if someone tells you. (laughs) It's like God does the most unbelievable thing and then tells us to believe it. (laughs) Thank you, God. That way no men could get any, uh, uh, you know, uh, pride in it for thinking that they wove this thing together. Verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people were urging them to speak about these things on the next Sabbath. And when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and God-fearing proselytes converts, followed Paul and Barnabas who were speaking with them and were persuading them to continue in the grace of God. <sighs> wow. What a gospel. The issue in the gospel is the resurrection from the dead. It's the resurrection from the dead. That is the issue of the gospel. Why? Why? Well, it puts Jesus in a whole other stratosphere. Think about this. Anybody that ever conquered anything was trying to conquer land. Dirt. But do you know what he points out? He uses decay or death. What does yours say? Corruption. Corruption, Decay. Death. Why? Why? Because even though Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his 30s and then wept when he had nothing else to conquer, he died. And the same earth that he conquered, he turned back into. (laughs) It's like you might be winning some battles, but make sure they're not battles that don't outlive you. It's like, wow, you accomplished a lot, but it's all going to turn to dirt. But Jesus goes into the ground and it spits him back up. Says, we can't touch that one. He's too pure. He's too good. He's too holy. He's too powerful. So every the conqueror is trying to conquer dirt, they turn back into it. Our God doesn't conquer dirt, he conquers hearts. And he's calling to people saying, come, and if you'll follow me, you won't just be put into the dirt. You're going to pop back up and be resurrected just like me. I'm the first fruits of what you're becoming. So Paul says, yeah, King David, he was great, but he decayed, so he's not the guy. Oh, but there's a greater David, a second David, that's so great, decay can't even touch him. It's like a picture of Jonah. Jonah goes into the belly of the great fish, and what does the fish do to Jonah? Jonah. He spits him back up. (laughs) And Jesus said, just like that guy, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth for three days. But it can't hold me there. I'm going to get spit back up. And so Paul makes his case because he went back to Jerusalem To get the whole story from Peter and from Jesus' brother, James. So that before he went out planting churches, he had the rest of the story. (laughs) See, some of you are waiting for God to release you, but you ain't got the rest of the story yet. You need to sit yourself down and let some people tell you the rest of the story. Yeah. Yeah, half-baked, they say. (laughs) Yeah. So they went on preaching this kind of gospel, going to the synagogues, getting persecuted. So at one point, these four churches, Lystra, Iconium, uh, Pisidian, Antioch, and, and uh, I don't know. geez, Derby? I don't know. Four in southern Galatia there. He goes and preaches, and one of them, this guy, this lame man gets brought up. He gets miraculously healed from Paul's ministry He jumps up, starts declaring, uh, I think he starts declaring Paul as being Zeus. And they start toting him around the city, saying Zeus is here. And Paul's like, stop. They're ripping their clothes as men are trying to promote them and push them around and like crowd surf them throughout the city to talk about how great they are. And they're ripping their clothes because they can't stand the fact Jesus isn't getting the glory. They stir up so much mess that finally, outside of Galatia, they take Paul and they stone him. They throw rocks at him until he's motionless and they think lifeless. But how many of you know you can't keep a good man down? Because Paul was bad to the bone all the way. And he ain't going until God says he's going. So can you see Paul covered with all these rocks? (sighs) And then you just see this hand. (laughs) And then his hand starts getting. (laughs) He starts getting these rocks off. And he gets up. And he goes back into the city. And he says, I'm not done. There's more of this story that's got to be told. <sighs> Don't play the guitar on me yet. I'm going to go late tonight. <sighs> Come on, we make time for everything. Let's make time for the Word of God. My goodness. I'll make it up to you next week if you've got to run out of here so fast. This was what Paul did to plant this church. That this is what Paul endured. And so you can see why he gets a little upset when somebody comes up trying to mess with this ministry a little bit. And you know what I found? People will try to slip in and undo the work that you did and think they're doing God's work. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why exactly. I think people don't like to see people get free. I think it makes them uncomfortable. Because they have to say something like this. Either they're right and I'm wrong. And I don't want to be wrong. So let me get them back in the prison with me so I can look right. So Paul has stood with this church, been stoned to establish this church. Went in the middle of a synagogue and risked his neck to preach the gospel to this church. And this church that he's established. News begins to spread about how awesome God is moving in this region. And Peter comes up to see what's going on in Galatia. But Peter didn't just come up. These other men called Judaizers, and we'll get into them next week, come up. And when Peter sees his Jewish partners, he gets scared and doesn't want to associate with the Gentiles for fear of being unclean. So he doesn't eat at the tables with the church that Paul's been willing to die for. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you something. You don't mess with somebody else's kids. And Paul's got a father's heart, and those are his kids. So here's Peter, Cephas. Well, let's just read about it. Galatians chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem again with Barnabas, taking Titus along too. I went there because of a revelation and presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so only in private meeting with the influential people to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So right. So we talked about he was getting the gospel right with those who had actually walked, talked, and been with Jesus. Okay. But I did so. Verse 3. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to to be circumcised, although he was a Greek. This is the issue of Jewishness. We'll get into this next week. Now, this matter arose because of the false brothers with false pretenses who slipped in unnoticed to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. But we did not surrender to them even for a moment in order that the truth of the gospel would remain in you. But from those who were influential... Whatever that whatever they were makes no difference to me because God shows no favoritism between people. Get that? Those influential leaders added nothing to my message. On the contrary, when they saw that I was entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter was entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who empowered Peter for his apostleship to the circumcised also empowered empowered me for my apostleship to the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who had a reputation as pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me, they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship, agreeing that we would go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They requested only that we remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. Now watch what happens here, confrontation time, you ready? But when Cephas or Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he had clearly done wrong. <laughs> Until certain people came from James, he had been eating with the Gentiles. Oh, then his, then his buddies that were, you know, highfalutin show up, right? But when they arrived, he stopped doing this and separated himself because he was afraid of those who were pro-circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also joined with him in this hypocrisy. So that even Barnabas was led astray with them by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not behaving consistently with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, (laughs) If you, although you are a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you try to force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So I want you to think about this. And we're going to land the plane. Don't worry. he Paul. Yeah, that I means stand up when I pull on you. That's it. Mm-mm. That Paul will get belly to belly with Cephas, Peter. Get this. This man was chosen by Jesus in real life. This is the man that he said cast your net on the other side. Well, okay, Jesus, we've told all night, but that's your word. huh? Oh, fish are everywhere. This is the one who saw Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah on the mount of transfiguration and said, "Is it good that we're here?" This is the one that ran to the tomb and saw Jesus. This is the one who's got the resume. This is the one that Jesus looked at and said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. But when Paul sees error in him, he confronts him and says, listen here, you're not being true to the gospel. I've seen your resume, Cephas. But the truth is more important than where you've been. That Paul would stand up for a fledgling little snippet and confront the hypocrisy in a man in whom Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on that kind of faith. So this is Paul's church. (laughs) This is Jesus' church. And you're going to see next week, Paul takes the gloves off. Because he ain't playing no games when it comes to God's people. Even if it means confronting someone who's had more experiences than him. So Paul writes this letter after this encounter a few months before he goes to what's called the Jerusalem Council. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 15. The idea is in the Jerusalem Council these new Gentiles that are coming in what do we do with them? What do we do with them? And their consensus comes to this reality. James, the brother of Jesus, hearkens from a scripture in Amos that says David's fallen tent will be rebuilt that doesn't have the borders and boundaries that the tabernacle or Solomon's temple had. That there was one chamber in David's tent at Shiloh And it was everybody got to look at the ark (laughs) and worship the king. James gets that scripture and says, let's not make it hard for these Gentiles to get in. And my admonition to y'all is, don't make it hard for people to find Jesus and get in. and what a council the first church council is to say whether or not the people God's already saving and moving amongst if he's actually moving and saving them (laughs) but isn't that just like church oh you can't do it that way it's got to be done this way Oh, it's got about this. What about this? Oh, all oh, That's what religion does. It always makes an issue of the flesh. Because some had flesh on their private parts and the other didn't, they were in or out. And these are the things that we fall into today. What do we need to remove to make it easy for people to come to Jesus? What in our perspectives is in the way? It's hindering our testimony. Because people got to jump over our hurdles before they find King Jesus. That <laughs> I think what I want my life to be <laughs> is a road where every hindrance and obstacle is moved, where when someone meets me, they have a chance to have an encounter with Jesus. and not some religious tradition that I'm trying to prop up and pretend is making me better than someone else. Don't make it hard for people to find Jesus. And sometimes, for the sake of brotherhood and unity, you might have to confront Cephas who's got more miles under their feet than you do. The gospel's that worth it. The gospel's that worth it. Jesus' church is that worth it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, God. Just like Paul loved the Galatians you love us with the same intensity. And Lord, let us have this kind of intensity for our people. <sighs> that God, even if we're stoned, if you're not finished, that if we're stoned, if you're not finished, God, we'll go back into the city to finish the story. Ah. <laughs> oh. God that you would set us on fire for our city, and that we would see the Church of Christ as the Church of Hot Springs, and we wouldn't divide ourselves up so much. that we would humble ourselves to those who know more and wait until we get the right hand to fellowship before we go off and start some ministry. Lord, that you'd knock us off our high horse even if it blinds us to get us to see again. be bewitched or under any spells and we just speak to that anybody using manipulation to get what they want we just speak to that spirit right now and we tell it to go and to stop that we're not under a spell and we won't be driven like that going to be led by the Spirit of God in all that we do. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.